0: Hello and welcome to Keanu Club. Like a cool breeze over the mountains, this is episode sixty-four, John Wick
1: from two thousand fourteen. I am Mike Manzi, and I am Joey Lewandowski. And with us today, very special guest. He's been on the podcast before, but this is a first-time occurrence that we have a guest who worked on the film. We have Mike Flynn. Hello, Mike. How's it going, guys? Good. So this movie, who? this movie is amazing. It is the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel.
0: You could say that again. Like, this, we earned this. We (laughs) did. That's how I really feel.
1: And Keanu
0: earned it, too, I think. Absolutely. Yes, it's been a long road to get here. It's like one of those proofs that's like, every step of the way was necessary, or else this never would have happened.
2: Yes. (laughs) You guys are troopers. You win all, you When you go all in on some of these filmographers,
1: we had no idea what we were really getting into with this.
2: I had no idea that Cage Club was going to lead to a sequel involving another actor. I think what you have done needs to be studied and remembered for decades to come.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I hope it is, because I don't want to have watched Generation Um for nothing. I don't want that to go in vain. Was that one of the bad ones? That's the worst movie he's ever been in. Really? So that was a movie, you can go back and listen, it was a couple episodes ago. But as he was making The Man from Tai Chi, he was in this other really low-budget indie movie called Generation Um, which is just atrocious. And we were on that episode, and we really just trashed that movie. And we knew that, like, three movies down the road, we had this, and we were like, just get us there and we're here and really I mean there's a couple things from here on out that aren't great but like this sort of starts this run of like more great Keanu than bad Keanu which we have not had in a while.
2: There's an interesting thing to be said about John Wick it was not only like a Keanu Reeves comeback. I saw Man of Tai Chi alongside you guys and maybe a handful of other people that discovered it on Netflix. And I think more people should see it and realize it's a great movie and really kickstarted this whole second win of his career. But the interesting thing that Wick did for Reeves was the Liam Neeson effect The Liam Neeson effect was beneficial to him.
1: In terms of like a grizzled old actor,
2: is that what you mean? Not just a grizzled old actor. Someone that is popular, is bankable, and has this sudden revitalization and people start flocking back to their movies again. A lot of times it's somebody that you don't expect as an action star. You knew him from Schindler's List and a lot of prestige pictures. You didn't expect him as the CIA agent who would break your neck to get his daughter back. You had a lot of cash-ins that were following that simplicity of revenge and the sort of thing that had been done in the 70s with Charles Bronson and Death Wish, where he was an international star and bankable anywhere, and you could pre-sell a movie just on his presence.
1: Well, so what's interesting about this movie, what I read was two different things. Number one, when it was written, there was no actor in mind, which I feel like a lot of these things recently, we've had movies where like, The Day of Earth Still, for instance, was like, it was always going to be Keanu. like That was the only choice that they wanted to make. And the other thing that was interesting is that in the original version of the script, the original or the first draft of the script, John Wick was in his 60s or 70s. And he was this really grizzled old man, But when they went to cast it, they realized that they didn't want to do that as much as find an actor who had that kind of baggage from a film career. And I mean, this is now 33 years into Keanu's career. He has been an action star. Like his best movies are action movies. He's one of the best. What I've learned here is to be careful how I speak about him because I don't know that he's a great actor. I don't think we ever really, like Cage is a great actor. I don't know that Keanu's a great actor. I'm not sure because he's been in a lot of bad things, but Keanu is maybe along with like Tom Cruise, maybe, like the best action actor working today or of the last few decades?
2: I think that that's definitely agreeable. I think he's a ubiquitous presence and he's beloved all over the world.
1: And from going back all the way from Point Break through The Matrix, through Constantine, through The Man of Tai Chi and this, I mean, that's spanning decades and speed in there too, spanning decades of just great action movies anchored by him. And even though I don't love him in other genres, like I love Cage as a rom com cage or whatever, Keanu is a terrific action star. And this is like the culmination. Like without those other movies, A, he wouldn't be a star, but B, he wouldn't be this role.
2: It does feel like something that is kind of a legacy defining thing. And what you said about. It- originally him being written in his 60s. I can't see them casting somebody like Harrison Ford or Tommy Lee Jones in a part like this, which I know that's probably what they were thinking when they originally wrote this or even slow. I Stallone. would have that probably, yep. It's, it's like Frasier's dad becoming a homicidal killer. Who was a cop on that show. This movie
0: does feel to me like it was crafted to Keanu for some reason because it plays to so many of his strengths. Like, not just the action star stuff, which I admit, like, he pulls off best, But the anti-hero, like, he can play dark, brooding, and badass very well. And he plays the hero really well. So when those two worlds merge, I feel like he really knows what he's doing there. Plus, John Wick is a very silent guy. You know, he's not really talking too much, and his words carry a lot of weight for that.
2: Wick is a character that follows in the footsteps of something that originated in the uh, French film Les Samurai. I think you can find that lineage in a lot of later films, like The Driver Drive, even, which owes a huge debt to The Driver.
0: A lot of the John Woo stuff, too, which this takes a lot from with the with the gun foo and the brooding silent killer.
2: <laughs> this is a modern version of the heroic bloodshed type thing where it involves brotherhood and respect and honor, you know. There's a whole plot point about this, this hotel, the Continental, this whole world where if you conduct any kind of business of killing, you get thrown out,
1: you're done. And which I was really happy to remember, as soon as I started this movie, that as I'm watching The Wire now for the first time and just finished season four, I was like, oh, right, Cedric Daniels, concierge at the hotel. And then completely forgot that Freeman, Lester Freeman, is the room down the hall. And he's only in the movie for like two minutes before Adrian Palicki shoots him in the head. But I was like, oh, a Wire reunion as I'm watching The Wire. I'm like, this is perfect. When I saw it in the theater, I had
2: watched The Wire. So I got very excited when Cedric showed up, and I also got very very excited when Freeman showed up and then Ian McShane shows up. And by the way, yep. Winston is basically the Nick Fury of the John Wick universe. Uh,
0: he owns the continental. I mean, yeah, I mean, we find out in the he's, sequel. he's
2: Nick Fury. He's Charlton Heston in true lies. He runs the game, but it's basically a hotel that, that houses people that used to be on HBO shows.
0: Pretty much. Basically Leguizamo shows up for a minute too in a very strong role. I mean, for me, I think like, you know, all the people you mentioned, all the actors, those are very small roles, right? But it's all about presence. Like, everything for me to this movie is about the weight that these actors carry with them, and then how well they can, or how small they can sort of react to stuff. Like, like the directing is such in a way that, you know, when the guy finds out that his son stole John Wick's car, he does so little, but So much is realized from what he's showing the audience, you know, like it's just there's so it's so small and yet pulled off so well.
2: I love that bit when he finds out about John Wick coming back. He just has that look on his face like he knows he's going to die.
0: Everyone sort of gets that look like when when the car comes into Leguizamo's chop shop, he just like knows immediately, you know, get that out of here.
2: He's like, we're done. You guys are done. And from there, it kind of subverts that whole bad guy thing, because usually you have a very overconfident, counterdependent bad guy. In this, Vigo is an insecure piece of shit who is constantly neurotic about things. And when he finds out that his son's basically about to die, he doesn't immediately go after him. He lights up a blunt the size of a Slim Jim and smokes it and i think that small moment is one of the funniest parts of the movie
1: that's what really strikes me it's the small filmmaking that the last time that you were on the podcast we did street kings and there was that moment in that movie where keanu goes to the morgue and the guy is like man i haven't seen you in here since your wife passed through it's just like it's like the most obvious but here like you know that the wife is dead but it's shown through subtle gestures you have like flashbacks you have her bracelet on the end table like you have these like you know why him watching the phone it's these little moments there's little moments where like when the puppy is delivered the adorable daisy played by puppy adam when daisy is delivered and like the he signs for the package or he signs for the dog and like doesn't give the pen back like he's just so lost it's little things like that that are just like how do these guys like get this how are they so confident in this filmmaking especially considering it's an action movie like it's not supposed to be this in-depth emotional drama but it's this movie that gets the little things right, and then it's just like, this is also a movie where John Wick's going to kill 77 people. It's like, we're going to do everything, that whether you want to have this moment where you realize just how adrift at sea he is, or you just want to see him do five of the ten coolest things you've ever seen in the movie, they're both here. And those five coolest things, most likely
2: all of them happen in the red circle scene. But I want to point out something that a friend of mine remarked when he saw the movie and he saw it after the hype. And he's a hard mark. He loved John Wick. And one of the reasons he loved the movie was because there was no collateral damage in the action sequences. In other words, no innocent bystanders get shot in these dangerous situations. The people that get shot are asking for it
1: but i mean that's something we're going to see more of in the second movie where maybe there just aren't people around we're going to get into that more with chapter two but like there's maybe possibly a reason why there's no collateral damage but that's a good point i like the movie for that because if it's so self-contained within its
0: own world. It's like this shadow world of the real world. Like John Wick exists within the shadows, you know? Like real people don't even notice him on the street, but the people he's done business with can't help but feel his presence. And and the film plays more like a, a fairy tale, or like a twisted fairy tale, like of the boogeyman, right? I think the filmmakers knew what they were really doing in the sense that they're like, okay, we want to do a revenge flick, you know, like a 70s style revenge flick, but we want to hang it on a samurai film so we need there to be this emotional weight and they just have like a really clear understanding of what they needed and didn't stray right they just don't divert unless it's absolutely necessary and the things that they end up diverting with is like adding cool new characters to try and kill John Wick with you know like that's what they they end up doing instead of like extra plot lines and like just random clues or you know searching for things it's like no John Wick is going to show up across the street in the next scene and just start shooting at you like that's the way it is
2: there's a comic book aesthetic to it it's not the real New York it's like you said a very fairy tale fictionalized, stylized New York where there doesn't seem to be any law. There's not a lot of police presence or federal presence. All of the business is conducted among the underworld. And I found that completely fascinating in the mythology and world building of it, is that there are cops, like the scene where they come and check up on him after the guys come and try to kill him at his house.
1: But it almost makes you wonder if they're, like, private security or, like, like in what world... Do cops see dead bodies on the ground behind the guy, even if he's, like, paying off the police and is like, oh, right, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow, like, just have a good night, like, or, like, not even that, just like, oh, you're working again? He's just sorting some things out. It, that's not real police, but, like, it's it's funny that it's not, like, it's, it's an awkward, it's a weird moment. I mean, it's awkward on both sides of it. Like, Keanu's weird about it, even though he doesn't need to be. The cop is weird about it because he's terrified of Keanu. I mean, I don't know that he's police as much as just like, hey, this still exists in a world that we know. Like, this is not complete fantasy. Evening,
0: John. Evening, Jimmy. Noise complaint.
1: Noise complaint. You, uh, working again? No, I just sorting some stuff out. Oh, well.
0: I'll leave you be, then. Good night, John. Good night, Jimmy. That's about as close as we get to reality, too, right? Our world that we know is like the cops show up for a noise complaint. But in John Wick universe, it's like, well, the cops know that he used to be this ex-mob killer, so it's cool. Like, he's got certain privileges in the neighborhood. Let him drive around the airport tarmac with his car if he needs to. Like, whatever goes for John Wick, really. just You know that he's going to clean it up as quickly and quietly as possible, but... Yeah, that's played a little more for a joke, but to serve a point, to show how oblivious and unaware normal people are to sort of the mayhem that goes on behind their backs. And, and that's sort of what this this film is like exploiting a bit is like just all the, the senseless, needless violence that goes along with doing business.
2: By the way, just a, about Winston, when I was working on it, Jason Isaacs was originally cast in the park. And I guess scheduling conflicts got in the way. And all of a sudden, Ian McShane's name showed up on a call sheet. What do you know? Jason Isaac's name disappears from the IMDb and McShane goes up. And I think this is like the first movie where he's playing a British character and he has a British accent because I've seen him play Brits and he never really has a British accent because Ian McShane always talks like this.
0: Well, everyone sort of has like weird things going on. Like the guy at the front desk, right? Like yep. he has a very particular accent that you can't yep. quite place either. And, you know, I would say even the Russian guys, like some of them are laying it on a bit weird. <laughs> but I think all that really helps because the weirdness of the world and, the, and its originality and the world building going on and, and like the gold coins and the hotel and all this stuff. It's good that that is as sort of fresh as it is because the violence is like hyper violent. It's like we're going to get into X-rated violence here. It's like John Wick and then like maybe Logan are the most recent movies I can think of where we're getting just splatter, which which I'm, I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying like I don't know if all that would work so well if the rest of it was played like a death wish, like something that took place in our real world. We'd be wor- too worried about him getting caught or something.
2: And I think that we would be too sensitive to a movie that's set in the real world that has violence like John Wick. But what I'm going to challenge you on is I don't think John... John Wick measures up to the violence of some modern films. Logan is definitely one of the most violent mainstream films I have seen in quite some time. But I don't think John Wick is as violent as that or something like, say, The Raid 2, where it's outright carnage and brutality going on all the time.
0: Yeah, I didn't expect it when I first sat down to watch this, the way that it sort of settles you into the film, I didn't expect him to explode so extremely hard and not stop. It caught me off guard and it is super extreme, you know, headshot, headshot, double headshot, like triple headshot. And that is just kind of stuff that hasn't been seen in mainstream action movies, mostly because it's been stuff like Expendables and just sort of like really off the wall. And we get things like that in horror movies. You know, there's been Saw films and stuff of that nature, but I feel like this is sort of bringing back this type of violence in a gun action movie. And it doesn't have to be supernatural. It, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, like a sci-fi thing either.
2: It's a breakaway from the superhero culture that's been cultivated for the last 15 years. Wick is definitely a trailblazer in revitalizing the kind of thing you would have seen very commonly in, in a summer movie in the 90s or something.
1: I'm going to make a bold statement. I'm not sure exactly how bold it is. I think this is probably true of most movies, but I think this movie works a lot better the second time through. Okay. This is the second time I watched it this year. I watched it back on the day the second one came out. The reason I think that is because the first, so we don't see him with a gun until 29 minutes in.
2: And that's an amazing thing is that it takes a long time to get to the action in the film.
1: Right. That's what I mean, because up until that point, the only thing we see him do that resembles an action movie is his angry stress driving, where we're like, oh, he's a master at driving a car and being able to stop and turn on a dime and all this different stuff. And the only other like build-up that we have, and it's a lot of it, is just, like we've been talking about earlier, Vigo finding out like what happened, or like the way that John Leguizamo reacts when Alfie Allen comes in with the car and everybody's just like like we just see secondhand accounts of who this guy is which are great but I don't think you really get the magnitude of who this guy was until you see him in action so then after you see him take out 77 guys in if you wait half an hour and this movie's an hour 41 take out 77 guys in like 71 minutes you see that happen then you watch it again you're like okay now I really fully truly understand why these people are terrified I mean it's sold well enough because it's cooler. Like, his, his mythology is cooler. The fact that, like, the Boogeyman, everything is scarier when, like, you can't actually put a finger on it, because then your mind makes it worse. So it's cool that way, but I think it works so much better the second time around, where, like, you're suddenly now one of these guys who knows about what he can do, and now you know he's back. And you're like, oh, no, like, the storm is coming. We're just waiting to see what happens.
2: It's a tremendous way of doing escalation and character development. They gradually, gradually build. And then once it gets to that first action sequence in the house, never lets up. When you factor out like the seven minutes of closing credits,
1: you probably
2: only have about 50 to 60 minutes of John Wick action in this movie. And it's tremendous, it's airtight, and they don't waste any time on bullshit. It's, it, it's something that I felt like was has been missing from the genre for decades.
0: It's just so great because that first act, as they're setting up John Wick through these other characters, they're also creating the world and letting us into it little by little, like through an outsider now, because John has become an outsider. I agree, Joey, the second time around is a whole different experience, but the first time him around I got very uneasy watching it because you would sort of like cut to John Wick doing things alone and mourning and he's living in this like house that looks like and feels like a mausoleum and it's just kind of sad but then it's cut with like these guys super fucking scared that he's been fucked with and like you could see it in their eyes you know we're all dead already like you might as well just like call it a night and you're like why are they so fucking scared and as soon as he goes after him it becomes like very clear right once he takes action but i agree like it's very cool this movie is very well directed because the actors are really great actors and and Whatever they're given is is just right because it all just feels like really fear driven to me. It's like, imagine instead of John Wake, they just said the scariest thing you could possibly imagine.
1: Yeah, the, the boogeyman. Exactly. I mean it's 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 the Baba Yeager. It's not what you did, son,
0: that angers me so. It's who you did it to.
1: Who? The fucking nobody?
0: That fucking nobody. John Wick. He once was an associate of ours.
2: We called him Baba
0: Yaga. The boogeyman? Well, John wasn't exactly the boogeyman. He was the one you sent to kill
1: the fucking boogeyman. I think we mentioned the line earlier, but really all you need to know is when John Liguizamo says, Because he stole John Wick's car, sir, and killed his dog, all you hear Viggo say is, oh, and it's just like, oh, and like this guy, I think like Mike Flynn was saying earlier, this guy who's the head of the Russian mob or at least the head of this branch or whatever it works, you know, He's just like, oh, like, I get it now. Like, and that's all you need to know. Or we've seen Keanu driving, but we've only just seen him like with the dog and we've seen him just basically trying to keep his head down and keep a low profile. Then when Viggo is talking to his son, talking to Alfie Allen, talking with Theon Greyjoy, and he's like that nobody is John Wick. And as he's explaining to him who this guy is, we cut to the house of that shot up the stairs from the basement. And Keanu is silhouetted with a sledgehammer. And you're like, oh no, like, who is this guy? Even though he's just taking that sledgehammer to cement, you're like, oh, this is the beginning. He's literally breaking open his past. He's resurrecting himself. It's terrifying and also amazing. That's the equivalent in a completely other context of the only time I can think of a silhouette of a movie we've done is back in Zondali when Cage walks in and he, like, Twirls his hair in, like, that silhouetted doorframe. And you're like, I know exactly who this guy is. This guy knows how to fuck. And then Keanu (laughs) knows how to kill people in a sledgehammer. That's all you need to know.
2: I also love, when you go back to visual storytelling and Keanu Reeves acting without speaking much, the part where Vigo gets on the phone with him and he doesn't say a word. And he hangs up. What did he say?
1: He said nothing.
2: It's so good. You just know by not doing much. It's the definition of less is more.
1: And what's also cool, there's a, there's a line in there where Vigo says that because of John Wick, we are where we are today. That like he was tasked to clear out whoever and because he did what he did, we're as powerful as we are. And so these guys were the most powerful crime family and at least in terms of what we've seen, they're like the most powerful crime family around, they're only where they are because of this man. And now this man is coming for Alfie Allen and it's just like, uh-oh, now what? So there are... Three main action scenes probably, right? There is the red circle one, which we talked about a little bit, which we'll get into more. I think
2: if you took away Mad Max Fury Road in its entirety would be the action sequence of the decade.
0: We get a little teaser with their home invasion thing.
1: Yes, that's the first one, yeah. Wet
0: our wet our whistle a little bit
1: that whole thing is like over in like two minutes I was trying to time because it feels like he takes everybody out in 45 seconds but then there's like the second wave of guys but it's like this tactical precision in which he takes people down and he's on his home turf too yeah Yeah. they send 12 guys to his house and none of them walk out except for him
2: and then he calls up Jerry Horn to uh, get rid of the bodies oh yeah I decided my
0: if I had to exist in the world of John Wick I'd want to be the guy running the cleaning operation <laughs> just yeah, like comes with his boys it's... and takes care of the bodies and collects his gold coins and then
2: be, yeah, be on been... my way. <laughs> He's like the wolf from Pulp Fiction, but like a more tactical version of that.
0: Or Point of No Return, where Harvey Keitel played a cleaner and came in and put bleach on someone and stuff.
1: I think that if I was in the John Wick universe, we're going to see this more in the second one, but I would just be somebody at the hotel, just running my own shop and just like getting paid in gold coins. and <laughs> like, like a tailor. Oh, yeah, exactly. I got to figure out like a job and I would just like work there and just hang out with Cedric Daniels all day and just, you know, do that thing. Thing. Like maybe i'll be like a room service waiter who delivers handguns or something who knows i'm just gonna work at that hotel that's what i'm gonna do like do they have a library at the continental they, they have everything i feel like in the second one like where that's that's where ian mcshane hangs out it feels like kind of like a library
2: i'd want to be the curator of the library in the continental like oh what book should that's i fair. read what
1: movie should i watch So in that Red Circle fight, there's the song Think by Kalita. I just love songs that don't feel like they should belong in an action sequence. There's no other song that would work as well as that song does there. It's perfect. made this joke on Twitter it's still true I just want someone to look at me the way that John Wick looks at that guy after he stabs him and watches the life drain from his eyes like he just stabs this guy and just watches him die that's when I
0: realized like he's he never really did it for the money like he enjoys this on a certain level, like bloodlust or something, like it just, it gets him off and that is the moment in my eyes where it's like, he's, I mean, I don't want to get too crude here, but he's literally fucking that guy with the knife in his chest, you know, like he's penetrating him with the knife, he's looking at him right in his eyes, I mean, he's basically having sex with him right there on the floor of the club.
2: I also like the part in that think moment where he kills the guy that looks like Zongi from uh, Street Oh Fighter.
1: yeah, so yeah, 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 like the gigantic guy who gets out of the hot tub, right? I'm still trying to figure out what the coolest moment in this movie is, because in that Red Circle fight and the ensuing fight through, basically through Club Hell from the Matrix Revolutions. So Keanu missed out on the fight through Club Hell and Revolutions, but that's basically what he's fighting through here. But there are two other moments. There's the one where, I think it's before he kills the guy, or maybe it's right after he kills the guy who looks like Zongief. He, like, knocks a guy down and then he pulls the gun he's, like, holding it at Alfie Allen. And Alfie Allen just freezes, like, I'm dead. And then, without breaking eye contact, just not looking away, points the gun down at the guy he's like kneeling on and shoots him in the head. Like, that shit is terrifying. He's like, I'm going to get you, but I'm going to get you on my terms. Like, this is not the way that you die. And I'm going to watch you watch me kill this guy. Like, it's amazing.
0: And I can't picture this movie without him playing with his food the way that I feel like he's doing right here. When he looks at Alfie Allen and and shoots the other guy, like, that's what it feels like. It's like a catch and release moment for, like, a hunter, you know? Like, he's the predator, and he caught him too quickly, and it was just too easy, and he's not satisfied yet. So he's got to release him and go catch him again.
1: What I also love, and this is jumping to the end for a second, is when he does finally kill Alfie Allen, there's not a movie moment. He shoots him in the hip and, like, he falls down. And then you think, and, like, you know, in a lesser movie, there'd be this thing where, like, either Alfie Allen begs for his life or Keanu has this weird monologue about how, like, you killed my dog, he was for my wife, all this different stuff. But no, like, he walks up to him, just shoots him in the head and walks away. It's done. He's savoring this moment, but he's also a hitman with a job to do. And that's so cool. He gets a better death than
2: Vigo. I think Vigo gets a totally punk death. Like, if I was making John Wick, and this is my only caveat with the movie, I would have taken advantage of the helicopter. He gets on the helicopter, and somehow Wick gets on and he fights him and he shoots the pilot whip jumps out and vigo
1: screams to his death as the thing crashes into the ground although mm, that would have been cool although i don't know that he would kill vigo because i mean vigo is trying to kill him but vigo also saves his life i feel like there would be a moment which i'm sort of a little bummed that we don't get but there'd be like a, you did one for me i'm not going to kill you here i'm gonna let you go but like don't run into me again and then he could come back for the sequel in some way
0: I I like the Vigo fight because I feel it's more symbolic.
2: It's 45 seconds long.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that's why I feel like it's more symbolic than anything because, like, they're not doing, like, a great fight here. Basically, there's thunder, there's lightning, it starts to rain. It's a
1: revolution's redux. It is,
0: right. Yeah, it's the father squaring off against the boogeyman. You know John Wick's going to kick this guy's ass or kill him, and it's going to be quick, but I think it looks really cool, and I like how he pulls the knife into himself to break Vigo's arm. Yeah, let's
1: let's not skip over that, the fact that he, like, controls the stab wound so he can break the arm and get control of the knife. That's amazing. But apparently, the first cut of this movie was like two hours and 20 minutes and they cut out a bunch of stuff. Apparently, a lot of it was just Keanu walking through places looking cool, which is, you know, amazing. But they said that the end fight was longer, but they cut it down because there was no way that this guy was ever going to put up a fight against John Wick. There's just no way. You can't have a movie moment where suddenly he is his equal and he just fights him. Like, no, he's 20 years older and out of shape and this guy had just had like this bloodlust rage. There's no way that he's going to stand up to him.
2: Can we discuss Michael Nykvist's performance for a second? Because he was getting typecast as a lot of villains after he did the uh, original Dragon Tattoo trilogy, and he was in Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. And he is the most boring, one-dimensional guy in the world. That movie has absolutely no dramatic stakes. It's nothing compared to Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible 3. I'd even put Doug Ray Scott in the second one over him. So then he shows up in John Wick. He's hilarious. He's, he's almost comic relief in how paranoid he is in it and how much of a buffoon he is. It's basically just a guy waiting to die. He gets cancer and the cancer's name is John Wick.
0: I like the guy's performance a lot, but he kept reminding me of Peter Stormare, who we will get in the second one for a little while, who will play his brother, which is kind of hilarious definitely that is a total supervillain type persona that he's pulling off here and it's terrific yeah he goes so big even though like even though the movie is very subtle everybody is still you know showboating and peacocking and in contrast they're scared shitless like they look like total badasses but they're not and he plays that perfectly he knows that his days are numbered and he's pretty much the only one who has accepted the truth about it, and that's why, in the end, when the guy asks for a gun, he like jokes, he like laughs about. It. He's like, "Yeah, here, take a gun. Like, good luck. <laughs> We're all gonna
2: die." Oh, it's so good, and I just want to see him play more villain When I saw the movie, I immediately started thinking about a hypothetical John Wick two. And at the time, my idea is that they pull a Die Hard with a Vengeance, and they get Alan Rickman to play Vigo's brother, who. Does not have any kind of Russian accent, he would just talk like Alan Rickman, and he would come to investigate why his brother and all his Russian mob friends got killed by one guy, and he brings over all these guys from the old country, and he just kills them all again. The second
0: one was much more of a departure than I was expecting. Like I I absolutely felt like they were just going to cash in on it and retread the same old stuff. We'll get there, but they actually managed to subvert my expectations. I feel like everyone is just sort of caught off guard by this movie when they see it at just how awesome it is.
2: There were very many people who saw this movie and said, holy shit, this is unbelievable. Like, I can't believe I didn't go see this in the theater. All of you were right. I would be hard pressed to call this a superhero movie. But now you can see its influence creeping in to other action movies. Like, The Accountant owes a debt to John Wick
1: it just redefined what you can show in an action movie. I want to say like that's all it did, but I mean that's not that's not a small feat by any means. The fact that you can do this kind of stuff, people will go see it, people will love it. Deadpool is more of a direct precursor to Logan than this, but like this also is like, hey, people are going to go see an R-rated really violent action movie. You can make this. You won't lose money on this. You won't have as big of an audience as if you had a PG-13 movie, but I feel like people are afraid to make an R-rated movie because they're so concerned with the box office. The MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, will never do an R-rated movie because those movies won't make a billion dollars. It's a different... I mean, I understand that like it a wouldn't necessarily sense ability, fit there. Yeah, yeah also, that's a same thing.
2: I think that's the Disney influence. And on the opposite side, Daredevil is one of the most violent TV shows I've ever seen in my life. Like it's on the level of The Sopranos in terms of brutality.
1: No, it's way it's way more violent than Sopranos. I just watched The Sopranos for the first time this year. It's if it, that's another level. I mean, but that's also like we were saying here. Like that's it's comic book. It's not real life. It's a different kind of violence this
0: movie brings everything back to square one in a lot of ways in that how basic it is I mean like a lot of it is just trope after trope but with little twists basically at this point Time in action film history, it's almost sacrilege to have the Russian mafia be the bad guys, right? Because it, I mean, like, it's been done to death forever, but they make it work. Like, and they make it work in a way that you haven't seen before. And I mean, it's a whole new type of threat and it's really cool. And yeah, so, like, this movie definitely part of it is just due to you can follow it. You know, the way the action shot isn't this close up shaky cam, what's going on kind of feel either. Like, everything here is good filmmaking. People are looking at this film and they're not just saying oh here's other ways to reinvent our material but they're saying look at how this film is shot and you see that translated into stuff like logan logan in this movie like we have brought it up a couple times but i do feel like there are a lot of similarities in just like the simplicity the basic story structure and it's just very simple and yeah and it's all counterbalanced by like this hyper violence and it's all working it all feels entertaining <laughs>
2: I think we're not done with seeing the Russians as bad guys in movies because 2016. The Russians are back. And yeah. I think you can actually put a new spin on making the Russians the bad guys is that they're politically backed mobsters. Like, I would love to see an action movie do it, do something like that to make it completely bonkers and insane. Diplomatic um, immunity. I think that. John Wick is like, it's kickstarting something where studios are starting to take notice of the fact that a lot of film goers are not 15, 16, trying to get into an R rated movie with a 17 year old. A lot of people that go out to see reboots of Terminator, RoboCop, and all these properties that get PG-13s when the originals were R-rated, the crowds are older. And I think people are starting to realize that. And I think that's the reason why you see movies like Deadpool and Logan, and now the new Alien movies that Ridley Scott's done and the new Predator movie are getting R-ratings because the people that are going to see them are the people that grew up with them. I think studios are finally understanding That John Wick still made a great amount of money for an original intellectual property. But I know that Derek Kolstad, I think in an interview, said he planned it as a trilogy. I am very happy that we are now at a point where we will see John Wick chapter three.
1: In addition to the little moments we were talking about before, in addition to all of the action sequences, in addition to everything, we also have Keanu deliver that monologue about... like the, It's basically the speech that he's been building all movie. It also feels like the speech he's been building since The Matrix as an actor.
2: It's the moment he waited his entire career for.
1: Step aside. Give me your
2: son. John Wick. <sighs> yeah, it was just a fucking car. Just a fucking dog. Just a dog Vigo cool. Yeah, when Ellen died I lost everything Until that dog arrived on my doorstep
0: a final gift for my wife In that moment, I received some semblance of An opportunity to grieve on the and your son took that from me oh stole that from me killed that from me people keep asking if I'm back and I haven't really had an answer but now yeah I'm thinking I'm back so you can either hand
2: over your yeah. son or you can die screaming alongside him!
1: We've covered it on a lot of these episodes, but, like, he started out as this high school actor and then had the break as Ted in Bill & Ted and then was that for a little bit and then he got Point Break and he got Speed and then he sort of went away and then came back for The Matrix and then he just sort of went away. He was two different types of roles and he became this action star and then he went away for really kind of like sort of close to 15 years. I mean, there was stuff in between that like Constantine. This is the longest stretch, like the longest dry stretch. So basically, to make a long story short, The Matrix kind of divides his career in two, both in terms of time and number of films, number of episodes we've done, whatever. The first, First half is far more successful than the second half in just about every metric. In terms of enjoyable films, in terms of creative new roles, in terms of everything, and the Matrix is like the pinnacle. Like if you think about it, like a mountain, it goes up and then it comes right back down. And now here, I feel like I mean, like we've been saying, like I've been saying, there's there were moments, there were movies that were good between the Matrix and this, but this is really I'm thinking I'm back on top of that mountain. Like I'm back here. This is the movie that you've been waiting for. Yeah, ten of you saw my movie. That that I made. I wish more of you saw it. People saw Constantine. That was cool. But like, I'm back. And like, this takes off. Like, there's going to be more of this. And I'm back because people who make movies are going to see this and realize I still have it.
2: It totally is allegorical when you think about it. It's like he's literally announcing his comeback. And when you say it like that, that's better than any way Michael Keaton announced his comeback in Birdman.
0: It's crazy true too, because I've said it a couple times in recent episodes. Like he has gotten so much off of the Matrix that he's I feel like he's kind of been coasting combined with given a lot of extra chances. Like he's gotten away with doing things that other actors would just not be called up again ever again but because he's Keanu in the Matrix it's always like okay like at least he was in the Matrix and I feel like Man of Tai Chi I love it but no one saw it and I think part of that is like symbolic of the fact that a lot of his good graces from the Matrix were running out like it was all out of steam and this really is his new franchise you know this isn't based on anything this was created out of thin air so like that is a hot commodity nowadays and and it's it's his. You know, he gets to be John Wick now. He could take it wherever he needs it to go, and it does resuscitate his career.
2: It's rare that, that an action star gets that one singular role. Like, you know, with Stallone, I'm torn whether to consider him Rocky or Rambo. But there's also the fact that I cannot see anyone else doing this movie but Keanu Reeves. I cannot picture another actor of his age or his type playing this part. It's completely tailored to a style, like you said. He, I think, has been building to a movie like this for years, to a franchise like this, where he becomes that. Keanu Reeves is John Wick, except no substitutes.
1: And what's also cool is that, like, apparently he did, like, 90% of the stunts in this movie. The directors describe him. I don't remember what the number is, but, like, they say, like, 60% or 70% or whatever of John Wick is just Keanu Reeves. This is just, like you said, like, this is the role that he's meant to play. And like, this is him on screen. If acting really took a toll on him, like, this is like where we would be. And
2: Stahelski was his stunt double on the Matrix movies. So they had been working together for a while. So that's another culmination. It's like they were meant to work together on something like
1: this. The TLDR of this podcast is just John Wick is a good movie. It's well made and well acted and just badass. Basically. And like that's like the highest compliment you can play. It's just it's just good.
2: It's it's great.
1: A few little bits of trivia about the movie. Apparently when they did the red circle scene, Keanu had the flu and 104 degree fever. So that's crazy. This sounds so fake that it might be true. I don't know. The guy who wrote the movie Lone Survivor, Marcus Luttrell, or the guy who inspired it, what, I think he wrote the book about his experience, the, the Mark Wahlberg movie. Apparently, like he had a yellow lab named Daisy and some people like killed his dog and stole his car and like he hunted them down but didn't kill them and they eventually got prosecuted a disclaimer about this is that the bigger the movie is on imdb the weirder the trivia is there's trivia in this that's just like adrian palicki played bobby on agents of shield like that's not trivia about this movie so there's a, there's a lot of really weird stuff in here so john wick uses jujitsu in this movie and judo predominantly if you're interested in the guns that he uses that's all listed on imdb too i John Wick is a playable character in the video game Payday 2, which is cool. The directors were worried about how the audience would deal with all of the killing, especially of Daisy, so they wanted to find someone who looked like, quote, a complete prick, so they found Alfie Allen. They were like, perfect! So, which is weird because, like, on Game of Thrones, spoiler for Game of Thrones, he's kind of the opposite, like... well, he has no prick. <laughs> he has no prick. Well, that that for sure. But I mean, like, he's not the flayed man. Like, he's he's sort of the reverse there. So, but I agree that he's kind of perfect, and also worth pointing out that he's the younger brother of Lily Allen, who I love, who's the singer.
2: Yes, and he has a song inspired after him called Alfie. Yeah, which is about how, about how he
1: just sits in his bedroom smoking weed and just doesn't want to do anything. Playing with his life. video so, games, which yep. is
2: pretty much what Yosef is.
1: Yep. This is apparently the second movie that back in Constantine, which I've mentioned a couple times, Pop of Midnight has a rule of neutrality in his club. So this is the second time that Keanu sort of has one of those. A loose tangent is that he played Ortiz the dog boy in Freaked, and here he's a dog lover. So that's another thing. We've had lots of dogs.
0: Dogs have come in and out of Keanu Club way, 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 way more than ever expected.
1: Yep. So here's a controversial maybe, and again, this is IMDb trivia, but they say that the Ty West movie that came out last year in The Valley of Violence, or maybe two years ago, is a remake of this movie... Maybe a spiritual remake, but it just it straight up says remake. In the Old West, though, right? Yeah, but Ethan Hawke has a dog, and he goes into town, and this young guy kills his dog and beats Ethan Hawke and leaves him for dead, and so then he has to go and get revenge on this family, which I understand, like, it's it's a similar idea, but it's not a remake of John Wick. Yeah. The on-screen death count is, total body count is 119. The total that John Wick kills is either 77 or 84. I think the official count is 77, but a producer and Keanu both say it's 84. So I'm not exactly sure what the right number is. But if Keanu says 84, let's go with 84. On the flip side, I think Colin
2: Firth kills just as many, if not more people in seven minutes of Kingsman than Keanu kills it all, John Wick.
1: That's another connection is that Keanu goes in and kills sort of a corrupt church here, too. So there's that. Keanu did eight hours of weapons and martial arts training per day for four months. So, I mean, like, it's not Matrix levels, but it's close. And we also, I mean, one of the coolest videos, I think one of the videos that we posted on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Cage Club, when we announced Keanu Club is of him doing the gun training for the second one, where he's, like, on that shooting range. And she's like, holy shit, like, this guy knows what he's like. The actor can do this. Like, it's great. He's wild. And I believe he was filming Chapter
2: 2 alongside the same time that Charlie's Theron was filming Atomic Blonde. So they were training together, I think. That's cute. Hey, they were in two movies together. That's so
1: cool that they're training together. They should cross over again. I like that the, the movie ends full circle, that he goes back to the dog pound to just sort of be like a... Kind of like in... Better Call Saul, where Mike Ehrmantraut uses Joe DeRosa as the vet who, like, kind of like a backdoor doctor.
0: That's absolutely like an action movie trope, like you go to the vet or something.
1: <laughs> but what's cool about this is that he he not only heals himself physically there, but he heals himself emotionally when he takes the dog and they will return in John Wick 2. Two other real cool badass moments that I remember is, there's one that's, there's a better version of this in the second one, which we will get to in the second one when we get to that one, but when he's fighting his way out of the club, and he needs to reload his gun. He basically, like, punches a guy and stuns him against the wall and basically forces the guy to watch him reload the gun he's going to use to kill that guy. Just hang out here while I do this. All right, you're dead. There's two more in addition to that. There's one in that in the scene where he, like, I never noticed this the first two times I watched this, but, like, he grabs the guy by the beard and slams him down on the table and shoots him in the head, uh, that guy, like, on the upper ring of the club, and then my favorite I don't know again not my favorite one of my favorite was my favorite the first time through I think it's fallen in the ranks it's toward the end where he's chasing after Vigo he's chasing after Mayhem and he's in that car and he backs into the guy who rolls over the hood and he shoots the gun through the roof as the guy is falling over his car I'm like that's amazing
0: yeah Totally. These guys were stunt directors and second unit directors and, and stunt actors. So I mean, yeah, the sort of the tricks that they pull off in this show are like incredible. There so There's so many new things that you see in the action. I have one key connection it's, it's a very minor, tangential one. But, okay, so, like, in this movie, we see he's got full back tattoos. Yes. And a few movies ago in yep. Pebble Lee, he had a full front mm-hmm. chest tattoo.
1: That tattoo and a couple of other things, like the way that he wears his watch and you know, all, like... There's subtle nods that he was ex-military, but, like, I just sort of assume that everybody in this is, like, ex-military. Like, it feels like they're all—they all got their training somewhere. You know what I mean? Any other notes, Mike Manzi? No, I'm good. Any other any other badass moments that we did not cover?
0: (laughs) The entire rest of the movie, basically. Uh,
2: I like when Miss Perkins, Adrian Palicki's character, literally walks right into Winston's trap, and he gives her her walking papers, and then you just see—and, uh— Jerry Horn shows up again. What if that was his character from The Warriors all those years later? Because that's another movie that uses New York City as this fantastical comic book-y fun house kind of thing.
0: Let's add it to the internet theory of the expanded world of
2: John Wick. Mike Flynn, any other last thoughts, last notes? I will tell you that with the red circle scene, what I love is the cinematography of it because a lot of movies that had come out after digital became the in thing was that they were so washed out and everything was like a shade of teal or orange and really desaturated. But when you're in the red circle scene, the colors are psychedelic. They're vibrant. And it's it's a callback to the great Lee Marvin film Point Blank, where there's a similar scene where he's tracking a guy that he's trying to get revenge on through a psychedelic club that Herbie Hancock, of all people, is performing at. The cinematography in that scene, oh my god, just that, like, that spiral on the being projected, it just, it's so surreal that it does feel like a real place. I love the, the architecture of it, like the art direction, too. It's just it's just a phenomenally constructed film. I actually used the bathroom inside the set of where Marcus's house is. And by the way, Marcus's house was on one floor, and then you went upstairs, and that's where one of the Continental Hotel rooms was.
1: Don't spoil the movie magic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to facebook.com slash Club at k's Club Pod on Twitter or CageClub.me, You can see all the other episodes that we've done. You can see all the other shows on our network. Lots of fun, free things for you to listen to and read at those three places. Again, this podcast is now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So go listen to it wherever. Just listen to it. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Mike Flynn. And we'll see you next time on Keanu Club.
2: We're strangers. We're strangers. They cannot back.